Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, if you'll stand with us. I just have a, a simple thought, but it's what the, the Lord laid on my heart. And I'll be honest with you, when Brother Danny was teaching Sunday school this morning, I thought to myself how God just has been just letting us run the same vein. Uh, and he's not a preacher. He's just a Sunday school teacher. But you can be spirit-filled and not be a preacher. Is that right? Yeah. And in fact, everybody should be spirit-filled. Uh, that's a command in scriptures to all of us that are saved. But if I was out of the will of God, I would have come to the altar this morning and I sure wouldn't have waited. I, it brought fear to my own heart, him teaching this morning, uh, to think I searched my own soul. I said, Lord, I don't want anything in my life that you would have to whip me over or that you would have to discipline me or judge me over. Serious Sunday school lesson this morning, and I appreciate it. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. One verse this morning. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus. God, I want to thank you for the good singing and the testimonies and your presence this morning, how we've been reminded of your goodness today. You've been good to all of us this week and even this morning, letting us get out of bed and come to the house of God. We're reminded of your goodness. God, I pray this morning that uh, you would do a work that no man can do. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you want to speak to individuals' lives this morning, and I pray that you'll do that. I pray the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, would take these next few moments and deal with our heart in a personal manner, and we'll love you and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning on this subject, on the sin that easily besets us. The sin that easily besets us. Notice uh, in this chapter here that as we've just left the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter number 11, that there's three things that the writer of Hebrews wants us to see. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, wherefore seeing. And so he wants us to see some things in this verse. And I want you to notice, first of all, he wants us to see the witnesses that surround us. As he said, wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I'm not really preaching on these witnesses this morning, but if you go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, uh, listen, the writer just gave us a long list of witnesses that are surrounding us today. And I don't believe that's the only witnesses that are surrounding us. I do believe that Paul and, and I believe that Samson and that David and Enoch and all those that are listed in chapter 11, I believe they're looking on and they're cheering us on but I believe others in our life that have passed on and gone on before us. I, I think about other Christians in this church that have already outstripped us and went to heaven. We're compassed about with that great cloud of witnesses looking on. I mean would only stand to reason that if Paul can see us, then so can our loved ones this morning, as the scripture says here in this text, that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, and we know that these witnesses have passed away. We know that they're patriarchs of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. We know this morning, friend, that they're more than one, that they're plural, as he says that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Note that there's more than one that is surrounded 
surrounding us and looking at us. And so he talks about the witnesses that surround us. Then he talks about the weights uh, uh, that suppresses, as he said in verse number one, and let us lay aside every weight. Amen. Notice he didn't just say some of the weight, but he said we need to lay aside every weight. Now when you think about these weights this morning, they're not necessarily sins in our life. They can be, but I believe there is a difference between a weight and a sin. And what that weight is, it is something that hinders us. It is something that holds us back. It is something that harms us spiritually. You see, a lot of times people look at things and say, well, if I'm not sinning, and if it's not sin, then it must be okay. No, God takes it a step further. God says if it's sin, you know not to do it. But if it's a weight, and if it's something that hinders you, if it's something that holds you back from serving God, it may not be sin. But if it hinders your Christian life, then you need to get it out of your life. Can I get a witness right there? You see, a lot of times we say, well, preacher, where is chapter and verse on that? Here's the chapter and here's the verse. If it's a weight, if it's something that would hinder you spiritually, there's your verse of scripture this morning. Give you another verse of scripture. Paul said all things may be lawful, but he said they're not expedient. In other words, just because it's not in black and white that says you can do it or can't do it, Paul says if it's not in the best interest of your Christian life, you see, the way these Christians in this New, in this New Testament viewed serving God is the way that we should view serving God, and here's how they viewed it. It wasn't what can I get by with. Oh, no. The way they viewed God uh, serving God was this way. I don't want anything in my life that hinders me from being the Christian that God would have me be. They had such a passion. They had such a fervency for serving God. And by the way, it's not just them. You can have the same thing today. But they had such a desire to serve God that if they just saw something in their life that looked like a way, Paul said, just lay it aside. Lay aside every weight. Nothing wrong with going fishing, amen? I wouldn't dare say that fishing was a sin. Nothing wrong with going hunting. I wouldn't say that hunting is a sin. But if it becomes something that hinders you, if it becomes something that you spend more time with than you do with God, if it's something that holds you back spiritually, then it may not be a sin, but it sure has become a weight in your life, hasn't it? And you gotta let go of it. So he talks about the witnesses that surround us. He talks about the weights that suppress us. And then, notice this, he talks about the wickedness that stops us. He said, let us lay, lay aside every weight, but notice this, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And I want to preach on that sin that so easily besets us this morning. I'm talking about the sin that so easily besets us. That word beset means uh, uh, to set about or to surround. And what Paul is saying here is that sin that's always hanging around in your life, that sin that's always standing around you. Uh, Paul said you need to lay aside the weight, but then you need to lay aside the sin that so easily easily besets you. Now, there's a lot of besetting sins that we could say in life. Uh, I think that, uh, listen, you may have some things that uh, <coughs> that uh, uh, hang around you more than they hang around me. Uh, there may, what I'm saying is there may be things that the devil tempts you with that he doesn't tempt me with, and there's things that he tempts me with that he doesn't tempt you with, and certainly we could say that those are besetting sins, and we should get those out of our life. Can I get an amen right there? Some people's besetting sin is gossip. They love to hear it and they love to tell it. 
Amen. They ought to work for the FBI. They, they're great investigators. And, and uh, I listen, they, or they ought to work for a telephone company or something. I, yeah, I'm not even going to say what's running through my mind right now uh, because it'll get me in trouble. But some people, I'm telling you, uh, uh, they ought to work for the news because they know more than probably Channel 9 or Channel 3 News knows right now. I mean, they're investigators uh, uh, because they love that juicy gossip. Amen. Well, you listen, that's a besetting sin in your life, uh, and you need to get it out of your life. Amen. Man. It's their tongue. Now, I know the tongue's a problem with everybody, but some people, they rattle it more than others, don't they? And there's other things we could talk about. That's a besetting sin. Uh, I've had people come to me before and say, Brother Gravely, would you pray for me? And I smoke, and, I, and I've got somebody right now that's asked me. Uh, I've been praying for them for six months, and they're, they're trying to quit, and I'm not being critical of them. They want to quit, and they've asked me. They said, please pray for me about this, and I, I'm praying with them. I, I'm not being judgmental to when I say that, uh, but in their life, I don't have a problem with smoking, uh, but smoking is a besetting sin that's in their life and it's so easy to say well you know uh, you ought to quit and they should amen but you know what my besetting sin is I'll tell you what one of them is I love sweets so, okay I got one hand raised I, none of y'all eat I know none of y'all eat sugar I'm the only one in here that's why y'all so sour all the time isn't that right <laughs> but I'm telling you when I came to when I came up here brother Charles I lived my whole life never touched a sweet not one of them I was raised, uh, we didn't have them in the house, couldn't afford them. I mean, you know, I might eat an apple, I might eat an orange, but that's about as sweet as it ever got at our house. And, and I grew up just not really liking sweets. And, and then the worst thing happened to me when I started pastoring people to have you over and they started having pie at the end of the, or cake at the end of the meal. And you know what I'd do, Brother Laddie? I didn't even want any of it. I'm just being honest. I'd just eat it because I thought, well, I don't want to offend this person. And they went through the process. And I don't do that now, okay? Uh, but that was way back yonder. And so I'd eat and I'd think, well, I don't really want any sweets. I never even ate, ate a whole lot growing up. But I'd eat a piece of pie. You know what sweets is? They're just like sin. Because I ate one, I thought, well, that's okay. And then the next time I'd eat another one and another. And before you know it, I developed an appetite. To now, about the only things I'd eat if I knew it wouldn't blow me up like a, a frog is I'd eat bread and I'd eat sweets, and that's about it in life. Amen. I could get by. Uh, maybe some pinto beans, you know. If I had those in life, I could be okay. Uh, but you know what? Uh, listen, isn't it amazing? That's how it is. And so that's a besetting sin. Hey, that's as bad as smoking. Can I get a witness right there? Eating sweets and overeating those things. Uh, you say, well, eating sweets won't kill you. Well, if you eat enough of them, it will. Isn't that right? And if you smoke enough cigarettes, it'll kill you. Yeah, um, but I'm talking about there's all kinds of besetting sins in our life. Yeah, Hang on just a second. That's not the sin he's talking about. If you notice in this verse, he does not say, and let us uh, lay aside every way and the sins, but he said the sin which so easily besets us. He tells us in this verse of scripture in dealing with sin, he talks about the singularity of the sin, that there's one sin in particular that he's talking about. And I believe, my friend, it's in connection, in context with what he was just talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. And he deals with the singularity of this sin. He deals, my friend, with the success of this sin. It doesn't just beset us. Now, there's a lot of sins that may beset us, but he said there is one sin that easily beset Sets us, it gets every single one of us. The scope of it is that it doesn't matter who you are this morning, I promise you. You have a problem with this sin. I have a problem with this sin. 
You say, preacher, what is the sin that so easily besets us? I believe it's the sin that all other besetting sins are connected to. And my friend, it is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of no or little faith. Jesus, if there was any one sin that he dealt with, the disciples over and over throughout the Gospels, if you read them, it's that sin of little faith or no faith. It's that sin of unbelief. The only thing that Jesus ever marveled at, and think about this, what it would take to make God marvel, what it would take, in other words, to amaze God. The only thing that ever amazed God was the unbelief of mankind, that man would have more confidence in himself than the God who created him. Now, I'm preaching that to you this morning and all the while I know that I struggle with the same sin that you struggle with and what the writer says here is we've got to lay aside every weight and then we've got to lay aside the sin that easily besets us and that's the sin of unbelief. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, Brother Gravely, I don't ever deal with unbelief. I'm just going to put it in plain old Georgia terms. I don't believe you. Amen. And you can come and you can try to convince me of that. But the, listen, I think that's what First John is talking about when it says if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, you may not drink and smoke and, and dope and, and do all these different things and you may not have jealousy and envy and all these other things in your life. And I'm going to tell you what all them other things are connected to. They get connected to this one sin of no faith, this one sin of unbelief. Can I just be honest with you? I read it in the book of Psalms and I see it in my own online. They wasn't a man that loved God more than the sweet psalmist David. The Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm going to tell you, David struggled with the sin of no faith. He struggled with the sin of unbelief. I mean, there was times when David would believe God and there was times when he questioned God. What are you doing? What's happening? What's going on? Hey, that's just the way we are. Isn't that right? And this morning, Brother Allen was teaching in Sunday school about the judgment of God. You know why people can sit and listen to the judgment of God and carry their sin on out the door? It's because they really don't believe God's going to whip them. They really don't believe God's going to judge them. It's till it's too late, like you said this morning. It's till it's gone too far that they're bearing the scars or the consequences or they're in the graveyard standing before God at the beam of sin that they finally do believe, hey, I don't want to go that route. Do you? I don't want to take a whipping this morning. I don't want God to judge me. I'd rather just repent and get right with God and go on and have some joy, have some victory in my life. But I'm talking about the sin of unbelief. Every one of us has that in our life, an element of it. Jesus, after all the disciples saw, at times they still doubted him. I preached the other day in a church on, on the feeding of the 4,000. And when I was reading that that, that, that story of the feeding of the 4,000, this happened in a different place. There was a different amount of baskets that was brought up. I mean, there was a lot of differences in the feeding of the 4,000 than there was in the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus did that on two different occasions. But even though there's these differences in, these, in this text, there are still similarities. You know what the similarity is? It's that whenever Jesus told the disciples, now he's already, I mind you, he's already done this once. He's fed 5,000 people uh, with uh, five loaves and two fishes and he's took up 12 baskets and the disciples helped him do that. But 
then just a little while later, uh, now there's 4,000 people. There's 1,000 less than there was before. That's besides women and children. No doubt he fed way more than what, uh, than what the scriptures even uh, tell us. That's just how many men was there. Uh, but as Jesus is feeding those uh, 4,000 people, or as he's about to, he asked the disciples the same question that he asked the 5,000 concerning was there any means uh, in which to feed them, and they still doubted him. I want to ask you a question. If God could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, do you think he could feed 4,000? I mean, even if you're from Alabama, you can figure that out, can't you? Or Murray County. But you know what? I mean, here he is. There's 1,000 less people. And you know what the disciples are doing? They're questioning, Lord, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Even in another passage, he asked them, he said, have you forgotten the loaves and the fishes? Have you not? I mean, he did, and he did it once, he did it twice, but yet they still struggled with unbelief. I'm not being critical of them this morning because I'm going to tell you why. If you look in my life and I look in yours, if we go back down through memory's lane, how many times has God worked a miracle in our life? He didn't just do it one time, but he's done it again and again and again and again. If he's proved anything, he's done it over and over and over again, but I'm telling you, you, get that bill in the mail and you'll still doubt and wonder how are you going to make that payment. I'm telling you, you'll still question, should I put my tithes in the offering plate if you struggle with that? You'll still doubt at time. You know why? Because this is a sin that we have to deal with on a regular basis. It's the sin of unbelief. Now, I don't have an outline on this this morning because it's in the text, but I'll give you some things right here and be done on how to have victory over this sin of unbelief. Number one, you have to be conscious of those witnesses that are around you. There's a reason he started out by saying, wherefore seeing we also are compassionate about so great a cloud of witnesses. If you go back to Hebrews 11, what is this? These are people of faith, is that right? I think Abraham would be classified a man of faith. I think Enoch would be classified a man of faith. Noah would be classified a man of faith on down through the list. And what is he saying? Look back in this last chapter. Look at all these people we talked about. Don't see what they did, but see their faith. Don't see the ark that was built, but see his faith. Don't see that he was translated. See his faith. Don't see that he, cho that he chose the, uh, my friend to suffer rather than the riches of Egypt, but see the faith that it took to make that decision on and on. What is the common denominator with all of these patriarchs? It's their faith. And can I tell you, if you look around this church uh, and you see great patriarchs of faith and you see those that have labored and been faithful to God, that's what we see. We don't see them, but we see the faith that is in them. I'm saying if you want to overcome this besetting sin, you've got to be conscious of those witnesses. In other words, you need to look at one of them and say, I want to be like them. You young people this morning, don't pick a, a football player, a baseball player, a Hollywood a star. Find you some old-time Christian. Find somebody that's got, got a praying knee, amen, not a dancing knee, neither a praying knee. Find somebody, uh, uh, listen, that, uh, uh, my friend uh, has got a, uh, uh, listen, got a prayer clause, a, a prayer life, and somebody that's spent time in the Word of God, and my friend, mark them and say, that's who I want to be like. Amen. amen, be conscious of those witnesses. Secondly, I notice here, you got to lay aside every weight. You're never going to have the faith you need until you get the weights out of your life. This morning, the question is, what's holding you back from serving God? 
What's hindering you from being what God would? Maybe, maybe listen, it's, it's laziness. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe you, you're holding a grudge this morning. Maybe I don't know what it is this morning that may be hindering you, but you've got to lay that aside. You can't go any further with God until you're willing to deal with what it is in your life that is hindering you. Maybe it's a, uh, listen, maybe it's a, we can name a, a ton of things, but he said you've got to be conscious of those witnesses, but you've got to lay aside those ways. And then he said, you need to run. Let us run with patience. Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to have any victory in your life, you're going to have to run for God. Can I get an amen? I know it's 12 o'clock, but I'm going to preach 10 more minutes. and I don't really care it's 12 o'clock. Amen? Y'all need preaching and I need to preach. Amen? What I'm saying is this morning, we need to run, don't we? We got too many lazy Christians. We got too many Christians that won't get busy for God. You say, well, I'm in church this morning. That's commendable. I'm glad you're at church, but what are you doing for God? Uh, listen, uh, you say, well, I, I, I'll be back tonight. That's wonderful, but what are you doing for God? You know what a lot of people do? They go to church on Sunday to ease their mind, and then they forget God all week long, and they live as they please and do as they will, and they wonder why there's no victory in their life. They're always up and down, on and off. The first thing you've got to do is know you're saved. The second thing is be baptized. The third thing is join a local church, and the fourth thing is be be faithful to that local church. Somebody say, man, that means you got to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night. Be here on Wednesday night. Be here for revival night. Put it first. Make it a priority. And listen, don't be late. Don't come dragging in. Be on time for Sunday school. I'm just going to preach on it all. Amen. Pay your tithes. Uh, go out on soul winning. Invite people to church. Uh, love sinners. Pray. Read your Bible. I'm saying you, we say, preacher, that's a lot of stuff. Yes, you got to run. Amen. You got to run for God. This isn't no halfway thing. You can't hobnob here and there and visit around and just jump around and, and think that you're ever going to have any victory in your life. No, your kids need a stable environment. Your wife, your husband needs a stable environment. You need that stable environment. That means get in a good old-fashioned church where you're hearing the Word of God on a steady basis and listen, lock yourself in and say, come hell or high water, sink or swim, I'm going to go with God and I'm going to be busy serving the Lord. You want to have faith? Run for God. See, you ought not have to run off other people's stories. You ought to have some stories of your own. Not only let us run, but he said let us have patience. You know what patience is? It's spiritual maturity. Patience don't, patience don't come the day you get saved. Patience comes over time. And faith works patience. When I pray about something, I want God to answer it right then. But he don't do that most of the time. I want him to, ask, I want him to answer it the first time, but he don't do that most of the time, sometimes. The other day I was praying about what, something so small in just a split second. I, that's, that, that's it. Brother George, it, I, I, was, I was there and I just bowed my head. I said, Lord, would you do this? It's so small, but... I, if I told you, you'd just think it was funny, but it was so small, but it wasn't for me. It was for someone else. And I said, Lord, would you do this? Would you just let this work out? And just, I mean, only had like probably 30 seconds to pray a prayer before it, it, it happened. And you know what? It just happened. And it never happens. But it happened that one time. And I rejoiced all day off that one little bitty thing. 
because it never happens, but it happened that one time, Brother David, and I knew it never had happened before, but it did that one time. And the other lady was even surprised. that She said, well, that'll never happen. And I said, you know what? In my heart, I said, that's God. God answered that little bitty prayer. But can I tell you, that's the exception. That's not the rule. Most of the time we pray often and we pray at length. Why, is God, why does God not answer things right when we ask him? Patience. Patience. We get in too big of a hurry, don't we, in this life? Oh, I'm telling you, busyness has killed us in this society. People pull up at a, at a, at a drive-thru, and if they wait, you know, if they wait five minutes for a hamburger that ain't worth what you're paying for it, they get mad about it, you know? And, uh, and I'm telling you, if you're at a red light and it turns green and you count to three, somebody's honking their horn, ain't you? Isn't that right? Everybody's in a pressure cooker. Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody, I mean, cell phones. How many y'all, how many y'all would have thanked God if we'd have never had a cell phone? That's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I know you say, preacher, they, they make life so much easier. I don't think so. I think they make life more hectic. I think they make life more crazy. I, I go to a restaurant. I see people sitting there eating, and every one of them's got their heads down, and they got a fork in this hand, and they got a phone in the other one. Nobody talks to nobody anymore. Nobody communicates. Uh, hey, the family table used to be a time when you come apart from everything else, and you just sit down, and you enjoyed each other's company, and you talked a little bit but now everybody's walking around like this right here, always looking down, never looking up, and nobody's got any patience. I mean, if somebody sends you a text and you don't respond in the next three minutes, they're, one, they're sending you another text. Y'all with me on that? Used to drive me crazy. They sent me a text the other day, and I, I was in church. My phone buzzed. I didn't want to open it because I was in church, but then it buzzed again. I thought, man, I mean, somebody must have died. So I leaned over and flipped my phone over, and it said, are you there? <laughs> he said, what would you do? I didn't even respond to that. That's foolishness. Can I get a witness right there? If I text somebody and it's the next day before I get a text, you know what? I don't get mad. I just assume they must be busy. I just assume they've got other things uh, than just answering my beck and then call. You know what I'm talking about? But you see, all these things that should make life easier, what they do, they don't make life easier. They get us more and more in a hurry till we don't have any patience for nothing anymore. And that's why I'm preaching after 12 o'clock. It's five after I'm helping y'all with patience this morning. I'm time conscious. Man, I don't want to be drugged to death in church. I, I sit in church sometimes and I think, my Lord, let's just get with a program. Let's sing, preach, pray, and testify. And if God gets in it, let's stay all night. But if he don't, hey, let's just do what we came to do and let's go to the house. And y'all with me on that? And I think you can do that and God still be in it. But at the same time, I don't want to come to church and when God does something, turn the faucet off. Amen? I'm telling you, we need God, don't we? We need his presence and we need patience. Amen? Sometimes, as a pastor, I get up in the morning and all these things, and you do the same thing with your, I hate to refer to this as a job because I don't see it as a job, it's ministry. But you know what I'm talking about. I get up some days and the Lord say, change your schedule. I'm like, Lord, I need to do this, this, and this. And God said, no, I want you to spend time with me this morning. That's priority. That's what we have to do. 
And sometimes the Lord will say, I know you got to be here at such and such time, so you got to get up extra early in the morning because I want to talk to you before you go there. Or like last night, I, I was so tired last night. It was, it was, it was late and, and I was going to go to bed and the Lord nudged me. I said, no, I, I don't want you to go to bed right now. And I said, well, I said, my flesh, I said, you know what? I said, oh, I'll get up early in the morning. And I do get up early, but I thought I'll get up extra early. But the Lord said, I, I don't want you to do that. I want to talk to you right now. I want to talk to you about in the morning. Patience. And I have not arrived. I'm telling you, I am the most impatient person. I mean, I want to get everything done today. Amen. But it don't happen that way, does it? Faith requires patience because faith requires waiting on God for what we can't see. Amen. Then I close with this thought as they come and get us a song ready. You want to have victory over that besetting sin? Patience. Run the race. Lay aside the weight. Be conscious of the of those. And then lastly, you want to have victory over that sin. He said, let us run with patience the race that's set before us. I see this happening a lot in church. I see it happening with preachers. If I'm not careful, it's going to happen to me. I'm not to run somebody else's course. And oftentimes, what I mean by that is this. We have a tendency to look at somebody else and their life and what God's doing if we're not careful, we'll think that's the will of God for us. Or it's supposed to be that way for us. It's not. We're individuals and God has a plan for you, Brother Chris, and it's not the same plan He had for me. He has a plan for you, Brother Andrew, and for you and every one of us. God has a race and you're only supposed to run the race that is before you. In other words, whatever path you have at this moment, run that path. Don't try to go off on another path. Don't try to create another way. Just stay the course God puts you on. You say, well, look at so-and-so. Look at their life. They're on a different course. You run the course God puts you on. You say, well, their job's really going good and things in my job is it's not got better it's got worse God knows what path you're supposed to run if that's what's before you run that path amen I was in a carpet mill for five years and I I had man I didn't want to do that that wasn't that wasn't what I wanted to do and I thought when I left my first church I thought I'd go pastor another church but God just stuck me in a mill I've been in that mill anyway before I Resigned, but I thought when I resigned, I thought, they'll, you know, there'll be a better door open, but they wasn't. In fact, I went further back in that meal. And I, 60 hours a week, it was dark when I went in, it was dark when I come out. Felt like I was in prison. Around of a bunch of cussing and, and fighting people, and you know, you know how meals are. And I, I didn't like it. Going to school at night. Barely seeing my family. And then I hear some other preacher. I mean, totally different. But I remember the day on my way to work, I'd complain to God every day about my course, what I was doing, and how I was feeling sorry for myself. And one day, I got, I got to the end of that. I got to the end of that. God had been dealing with me. One day on my way to work, I said, God, and I'm in it. I went in a minute before this. But I said, God, if you just want me to come to work, and stay in the back of this meal the rest of my life and be a witness right here. If that's what you want me to do, 
then I'm willing to do that. And I don't want to just do it, but I want to have joy today. I don't want to complain. I want to be thankful that I have a job. I want to be thankful for my family. And if this is your will, then I want to see run the course that's set before you. You know what, God? He blessed me that day, and it didn't matter if he ever did anything else. See, he didn't change the course, but he sure changed me. He said, how are you going to do all that, preacher? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish for our faith. I'll say this and give an invitation. Can you imagine the course? Have you thought about the course that Jesus had? 30 years in a, carp- in a carpenter's home and shop. For 30 years, Jesus got up and he went to work and he cut a bunch of boards by hand and he worked for 30 years in a shop. The Son of God. He left glory. He left, he left immortality. He left all the, the, the splendor of heaven. And he went down in a carpenter's shop and he worked there for 30 years through his life, living and growing up. He's there. He worked there till he was 30 years old. And then he had a ministry that was only three and a half years. And in those four gospels of those three and a half years, only less than 40 days are recorded in the gospel of what he did. And you think about that. And he went through that and he started preaching. And when Jesus started preaching, man, they, they lined the riverbanks up. The crowds in Mark 1 started falling to the point that he had to go hide from them in the desert. But then, the closer he got to the cross, the crowds started leaving him. And even his own, even his own abandoned him. And Jesus died on the cross all by himself with one disciple and some women. He hung there between heaven and hell and his own father turned his back because he couldn't look at sin. Well, that's it's a pretty tough course. You say, well, what did he do? He ran the course that was set before him. You know how he, you know how he did that? Because Jesus had 100% faith in his father at all times. He knew that the will of God was perfect and was right. What about you this morning? As we stand, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. What about the sin of unbelief? The sin of just all these other things are connected to just this one thing. Because faith conquers all types of sin when we believe God. While Brother Danny sings, if you need to come, you mind the Lord this morning.